Our reading this evening is from Luke chapter 10, and we're reading from verses 25 to 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, thank you. Good evening, everyone. Good to be with you. Um, let's start by praying. Let's pray. Yeah, come, Holy Spirit. May we have ears that listen and hearts that are open to all that you want to say to us through your word this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, I don't know about you, um, but I'm actually genuinely um, quite fascinated by the relationship that we have with our neighbours. And so uh, I wonder what your experience has been uh, with your neighbours in the places that you've lived throughout your life. Uh, well, one particularly uh, neighbourly, shall we say, story uh, caught my attention recently, and you might have seen it. Uh, the picture just you're, that you're about to see is the image uh, that accompanies uh, the article and it's a, an image of a fairly normal looking street but I wonder if you can notice uh, something quite odd uh, about the picture uh, 
yeah, uh, the tree has been cut in half. It's not been photoshopped, that's an actual uh, picture. And this happened because a dispute erupted between two neighbours in Sheffield and turned into all-out war when one of the neighbours cut the offending evergreen in half. Um, Barrett Mystery said that his next-door neighbour had complained of nesting pigeons dirtying his side of the divide at their home. And they tried to reach an amicable solution, uh, but sadly to no avail, and the tree was subsequently chopped in half. Uh, it's since become a tourist attraction. Um, as well, and there, there are lots of them. Perhaps there aren't that many in Sheffield. But uh, uh, since images were shared online and it became a national news story. And uh, Anne, who also lives on the street, said the neighbours had got on previously very well and organised children's parties together. Uh, Mr Mystery's wife said, I'm genuinely really sad it's come to this. So perhaps you, uh, next time you get cross uh, with your neighbour because of something they've done, remember that things can uh, very quickly get out of hand. Um, this evening, as Louise said, we're continuing our series, Love God, Love Neighbour. And we're going to begin by thinking about the neighbour. Uh, we're presented with a question at the beginning of our passage today. An expert in the law asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the idea um, behind the Greek word for tested uh, here isn't necessarily a mean or suggesting that this person was trying to catch Jesus out. It may well be that he was um, trying to ask a very serious and honest question. And Jesus points the lawyer back to God's law. And maybe, I don't know how you read this, maybe there's a hint of sarcasm here. Jesus says, well, you tell me. You're the expert. And the lawyer replies that to have eternal life, to inherit eternal life, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And now you could argue it's fairly clear what loving God might look like in practice, following the teaching of Jesus here and elsewhere in Scripture. But I think sometimes we can get a little bit confused as to what it means to truly love your neighbour as yourself. It's not to say that we must love ourselves before we can love anyone else. It means that in the same way that we take care of ourselves and are concerned about our own interests, we should in turn have concern for others. And again, you might think, well, that you know, sounds pretty straightforward in principle. But what about this next question? Who is my neighbor? And we might feel as if we could have a good go at keeping the first commandment from Jesus. And certainly the lawyer thought that he had. But the second is directly linked, and it depends on what we understand about who our neighbour actually is. Are our neighbours just the people in proximity to us, those that live on our street or in our town or in our village? Or are they just the people that live next door and don't quite manage to resist the temptation to hack half our trees off? Well, Jesus gives us the perfect definition of neighbour with this beautiful and rather famous illustration that begins on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And those were and are real places, and the road itself did exist. Uh, the Jerusalem to Jericho route was one that was well used and well trodden. It was one that was full of varying and difficult terrain, rugged ridges and canyons and some of the harshest hills in the wilderness of 
Judea. And because it also connected Jerusalem to the mineral wealth of the Dead Sea and the spice route beyond, it was frequented by travellers with valuable cargo. And already dangerous because of the terrain and the lack of fresh water on the route, it was doubly so because of this ever-present threat of robbers. People rarely attempted the journey without an escort for that reason. But Jesus' story begins with a man walking this road. A man who is like, clearly reckless and or maybe a bit stupid because he's on his own. And surprise, surprise, he's beaten, stripped, robbed and left for dead. A priest sees him but walks by. A Levite, another religious official, sees him and also walks by. They decide to leave their Jewish brother lying there in what must have been a terrible condition. They did absolutely nothing. And priests and Levites would have, in reality, been frequent travellers on the road. And they also would have been those who were the most obliged to help. But they simply walked away. And I mean, do you wonder what excuses might have gone through their mind? Perhaps they thought, oh, hang on a minute, you know, it could be some kind of decoy for a bit of an ambush, so we'll kind of leave well alone. Maybe they were late for wherever they were going, for church or something. Um, Maybe their first aid certificate had run out, um, and they thought, oh, we better not do anything. Maybe they thought it was too far gone. Maybe they thought, oh, well, you know, it might be a bit dangerous, you know, we're in a rush, we'll just pray. Or maybe they thought, well, it's his own stupid fault for being out here on his own anyway and left him alone. Well, some of those kind of sound maybe quite reasonable, don't they? I mean, this really was a dangerous place. But I'm quite challenged by the words from the Christian preacher Charles Spurgeon, who wrote in relation to this passage, I never knew a man or woman refused to help the poor who failed to give at least one admirable excuse. And this was a dangerous place. And these were kind of, these are reasonable excuses, aren't they? Well, that leads us to the sacrifice. A Samaritan man saw him, had compassion for him, and despite the risks and despite the excuses, he helped him. And this twist in the tale would have defied the expectations of those listening to Jesus. As generally speaking, the Jews and the Samaritans despised each other, both racially and religiously. Jews saw themselves as pure descendants of Abraham, while Samaritans were mixed race, produced when Jews from the northern kingdom intermarried with people after Israel's exile. And to the expert in the law, the person least likely to act correctly would have been the Samaritan. And his attitude then betrays a lack of the very thing that he'd earlier said himself the law commanded. And that was love. The lawyer treated the injured man in Jesus' story as a topic for discussion. The robbers treated him as an object to exploit, the priest as a problem to avoid, and the Levite as an object of curiosity. Only the Samaritan treated him as a person to love. Instead of passing him by, the Samaritan loved him sacrificially. He didn't wait to be asked. 
The need that he saw in front of him was enough for him to give freely of both his time and resources. And not only that, he put the man's needs ahead of his own. He walked while the injured man rode his donkey. He soothed and treated his wounds, and he provided for the man's accommodation for the two or three weeks that were ahead so that he wouldn't need to worry about anything during his time of recovery. The Samaritan modeled what it's like to be Jesus to the one in front. He was an outsider, hated by many. He came right to the afflicted man and he came with everything that was necessary to tenderly and carefully meet the man's needs, both in the present and for the future, before it was too late. He modeled Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to do the same, to love others as we've been so abundantly and so unconditionally loved. And so finally, the trust. Jesus tells the lawyer, and he tells us to show mercy to others. But he also does something really clever. Jesus does that quite a bit. Um, He shows us that it's not so much about who is a neighbor, but more to whom we are a neighbor. He completely reshapes the question. And you know, a lack of love is really quite easy to justify, even though it's not right. We're to love those who others might consider our enemy, who others might consider to be unworthy. To whom are you a neighbor? And because it seems clear that we're to be a neighbor to anyone who is in need, regardless of color or background or relationship status or circumstance or sexual orientation. Love means meeting a person's need. And there's no good reason for refusing to help those around us in need. And and they are here. They, They might be a little bit harder to find in Winchester, but they are most certainly, most definitely here. We can and we must respond to the needs of others in whatever context and capacity we can, because Jesus did. And I don't know about you, but there's no one I would rather model my life and my behavior on than Jesus. The one who gave his all and gave his life for each one of us, who saw us in need, even when we turned our backs on him and he came running toward us anyway. We can trust him now and forever because no greater love and mercy can be found anywhere but in the person of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that you run after every need that you see or read about. I mean, the Samaritan, for example, didn't establish a pop-up hospital or an advice service for people wanting to travel dangerous routes who then get themselves into serious difficulty. It does mean, though, that we are to be concerned with and preoccupied by and alert to the social and spiritual and practical needs of those around us and before us, however similar or different to us they might be. Imagine how we, how the church could transform the world if each and every believer looked at the sorrow and the pain and the difficulty and the anxiety and the stress in front of them and did something, however small that something might be, to help. 
You know, there are so many people in this city, in this diocese, in this world who don't know the love of Jesus and actually, believe it or not, are quite up for knowing more about him. It's not about running yourself ragged and doing, doing, doing. It's about committing and committing together to trusting God that he has paid the penalty for each one of us every single time we've fallen short of loving him in the way that he deserves or when we've fallen short in loving others the way he would have us love them. And then trusting that as we step out for others, God will step up for us. When we accept Jesus into our lives, when we allow him to guide us and shape us, he will give us the resources to love him more and to love others in a much better, more profound, more transformational way. And we can't do it on our own. I've tried. It doesn't work. Maybe you could do it better than me, but I can't do it. You know, we can only do it in, with God in us through his Holy Spirit. And you know, that's the power and the truth of the gospel alive in us if we allow it to be and if we want it to be. Amen.